Hello and welcome to the DM's Book Club, a podcast where we read about some Dungeons and Dragons and discuss how we might include it in our role-playing campaigns. Today, I am joined by one of my most favourite, favourite, favourite people. I'm saying that to embarrass them straight away. Uh, <laughs> as a special co-host, it's my friend Mira. Mira, hello! Fiona, you're one of my favourite, favourite, favourite people too. So this is very, very cute. Aww. So uh, Mira, tell us about yourself. How did you get into role-playing games and what is it about sort of D&D or any sort of role-playing games or tabletop games that you really, really enjoy? As a small, I grew up in the 80s and was kind of, it was a time where D&D was like notorious and my dad used to get loads of sci-fi and fantasy books out from the library. So mm-hmm. I love sci-fi and fantasy. And it wasn't until I became a grown-up I live in London and I went through the worst breakup of all time and I just was really pushing myself to do things that I thought I'd like. So I went bell ringing. I went uh, like, (laughs) this is all meetup.com and, (laughs) you know, tried some rock climbing and then I came to Saturday D&D meetup, Mm. which is the biggest London D&D meetup and it's weekly. And I started playing a bard called Fickle and since then, it's become a real bedrock of my social life and my life. And I play a lot of D&D and I write about D&D and I, I just have the best time. Oh, amazing. I love the fact that your path could have been so different if you carried on bell ringing. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think I loved the experience of bell ringing, mm. but the fear of being the one to pull the clown at the wrong time... <laughs> It was like, you know, so um, I just made, yeah, a really like strange face when I made that sound um, for those who can't see. And uh, it felt like a very established group of bell ringers. So Mm. I I would have been the outsider for a long time. Whereas when I came to join D&D, I think they were so used to guiding noobs through dungeons that Mm. I felt instantly welcomed. And yeah, because in D&D, you can do pretty much what you want to do. I could be myself on the table. So that also part of why I love the game I guess. So how long would you say you've been playing D&D for then? Like properly like you know consistently you know three or four years I think. Mm. Oh yeah no, that's the same for me as well I think it's interesting because you, you ask the question and there's a moment where they're like oh no either they're like I played it for far too long and I don't want to embarrass myself by revealing how old I am or anything like that and some people go well I've actually only been playing for like four years but I've got myself so involved in the hobby like I'm the same like so I also came to London after a breakup (laughs) and got a job and stuff and then was like I need to try and make friends so I did a whole lot of stuff I fell into Quidditch for a long time and then so that sort of sort of ended because turns out sports is uh, a young person's game Uh, (laughs) and then the people invited me to do D&D and because I always loved drama as a kid and suddenly being able to be like oh it's all the things I love in one and then I was like I love this I want to do more of it. We're not meeting up regularly enough. I'm going to start reading about it and then just following in from there. And it's just, once you find yourself, I think in any role-playing system, whether it's D&D or sci-fi one, or even like one-page one-shots, just the ability to be like, it creates a spark of an idea and you can have all these different characters and stuff. It's so, yeah, I, I definitely felt so much better that I'd been able to have this as a creative outlook and be able to meet people like you and like have games with people and you're like oh my goodness they've got so many great ideas just like me so I should be honest I moved to London from Reading as soon as I could because Reading was quite very when you kiss someone in Reading the whole town knew and I kiss a lot of people so I had quite the <laughs> reputation when I left but I didn't discover I had no idea that D&D was around every corner in London no idea 
praise Jehu for the internet. Mm. But also, I love that you addressed the fact that I am not comfortable in an athletic environment. <laughs> I'm by nature fearful of being hurt and very low. Stamina is my dumpster. Mm. So, um, yeah, the fact that you Quidditch can evolve to D&D with the same kind of imagination and fantasy. It's, mm. it's a game for those of us who want to play and be athletic. Well, be athletically mindfully challenged yeah it's definitely it was definitely something where like you go run about in the mud for a couple of hours on a saturday and you enjoyed it and then you hated it because some people were much better at running than you or throwing my hand-eye coordination did improve a lot <laughs> anyway that's all by the by <laughs> let's talk about what you've got us today so what is the topic we've got for dm's book club today <laughs> So basically, I've got hold of a book. It's called Heroes Feast, which is named after a D&D spell, which helps provide food for your party. And it's the official D&D cookbook. And I actually was brought into communion with this book through our mutual friend, Matt Chapman, who asked me to interview the authors of this book, who are pretty, you know, pretty steeped in D&D. Carl Newman, John Peterson, and Michael Whitworth. He asked me to interview them for Dragon Plus. Dragon Plus is the D&D online magazine. So I got hold of this book and it's tremendous. It's basically these uh, three guys just spent, I don't know how long, I think it was 18 months researching, going through every old, every kind of campaign that you can imagine from like the very first game of D&D, compiling recipes that they found in the archives. And obviously because they were writing for the official D&D, you know, mm-hmm. it's an official D&D book, they had access to everything. <laughs> So they have like 80 recipes from the realms of D&D. So if you love Dragonlance, you'll find, you know, otic spiced potatoes in here. If you like playing in the Underdark, they have a mushroom steak recipe for you and your Mm. drought companions. And what I love about it is this book is a gateway to me bringing D&D into my kitchen and then bringing my kind of uh, what we call the muggle friends who don't play (laughs) D&D And I can say, are you enjoying this tasty dinner? Because guess what it was inspired by? And here are some dice. No, I would never do that because they'd walk out. But it's just a beautiful cookbook full of like great recipes, beautiful pictures and lore. They've Mm. accompanied it with loads of text about where they found out about the different foodstuffs that different races enjoy or different stories or protagonists, you know, feature these foods. It's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, like, so I've, I only have the electronic version. My physical copy is still in transit. I was saying, you holding up the cover is so vibrant and it is so thick. I didn't expect it to, because it's had like 300 pages or so on the electronic one, but oh, just yeah. seeing the colours and the, because it's all, uh, yeah, like you said, it's a mixture of illustrations, but also photographs. They've clearly staged some of the things and obviously the final recipes. And it looks incredible. Like, as of all cookbooks, obviously, it's supposed to make you go, ooh. I yeah. want to make that. I don't know about you, Mira. I am not a chef. I can't <laughs> cook for shit. Thanks to the pandemic, I've learned how to cook basic things. And this is the thing for me. I, it's something when I see a recipe, sometimes I'm like, oh, there's so much to it. This and there's, what's interesting about these recipes is that it is based on equivalents here in the real world as well. Like they've taken inspiration and flavored them, uh, like you said, from all these different uh, D&D worlds. But ultimately you're like, oh, this looks like this in the human world or whatever. Perfect. I can make this and I can make substitutions and stuff. So I was like, ooh. So I, I was looking through them. I was like, oh, yeah, I can, I'm going to make this next week and this, that. So I'm going to challenge myself to make a couple of them in the next couple of weeks and see what comes about from that. 
give us a big overview of the book itself. What is it that we would expect when we were looking into this book? So when you pick the book up, it, you're going to feel the weight of it. Um, <laughs> heavy. I would advise actually buying the book because cooking from your phone or an iPad, I always think in the kitchen is a bit risky. Mm-hmm. So you'll get a beautiful introduction about how to use the book. And then it kind of explains to you that it's going to go through four different types of recipes. You can choose to be human, elven, dwarven, or halfling. Or you can just mix it all up a bunch. And then as you go through each race, as you go through human, there'll be like starters, main courses, and then delicious desserts. And at the back of the book, there are ales, teas, and cocktails. I'm sober. I don't drink just generally, but I will be trying these cocktails. They ha- they look amazing and they have all the recipes and the drinks have D&D appropriate names. Mm. They have a drink called the Mind Flare. I, you know what? I was like, that looks great. I thought that looked really cool. Yeah, that one's got, um, if I look to it, lime juice, grape juice, vodka and grapes that you put in. And I was like, oh, yeah, little grapes. That's sort of like an elder brain type thing. So I was like, oh, perfect. So beautifully thought through. They have a delayed blast fireball mm. to the hitters, but they also have parsalian tea, which is a really beautiful ginger and honey, yeah. restorative toddy kind of tea. And all the recipes are so. If you've read about you know Lembus bread, there is an elven bread in this book. And if you've ever read like The Lord of the Rings or you played Hobbits, you know Hobbits love really homely family kind of sharing food so you'll find really comforting food like chicken something dumplings are in the hobbit things they have community cheeses which is like a fondue <laughs> i'm gonna call uh, fondue community cheeses from now on i think that's <laughs> such a great phrase sadly it's not very covid friendly but you know it's a great phrase and True. the one that looks the most yummy yummy from the mm. hobbit, sorry halfling Sorry. Yeah. Get, 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 the, get, get the term right quick. Yeah, um, we don't want to be sued. Peter Jackson uh, will be hammering on the door trying to collect money. Uh, Peter Jackson, come in. I've prepared a D&D feast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a stuffed egg battered toast just mm-hmm. says, like, you know, second breakfast to me. So it's just really well thought out. And they have um, thought about every kind of race, really. It's not exclusive. I know that um, I always forget his name. The very famous D&D actor that was also in Magic Mike 2. The, the only person I can think of is Vin Diesel. No, I don't think... Joe, and I can't remember. Oh, Joe Magnatelli. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He contributed like orc kind of food stuff, but it's like mm. based on roast halfling. <laughs> so it's really, basically, it's a really lovely cookbook with lots of like kind of meals, I guess, that you could prepare and it's... It's great for entertaining because it's all kind of based around the idea of like eating together. Mm. And there are some tips as well about how to bring this these meals into your gaming night. So it's things like if you're the DM, maybe let someone else do the cooking because you're already going to be busy. And if you're playing a game, like make sure you time things correctly. So if you know you have a feast coming up in your game, you could arrange a break and then just eat this feast or, you know, save it till after the game, because there's nothing worse than, what do they say in the book? There's nothing worse than finding a D4 in your community heap. <laughs> <laughs> What's really lovely about this cookbook is that it's written with a certain voice. And clearly the, there's a bit, I can't remember where it is. It's like advice. Let me see, where is it? Uh, tips for magical cooking. Again, there's another great sort of thing, the great library of Campbell Keep. And it's like, here are some advice that we have. And my favorite one is uh, keep thy blades sharp. Chopping carrots is just like severing heads. 
a dull blade simply won't get the job done. And you're like, <laughs> I can imagine someone saying that to me in game. And all the stuff, like obviously, like you said, you talk, there's a bit about the law. So each individual section, so the human, elf, dwarf, and halfling, has to talk about their culture and what food is to that culture, which is actually really interesting because, mm-hmm. again, like you said, it's not necessarily something I would consider part of a D&D game as much, even though obviously we do eat every day and we do food is a big part of our culture in in the real world so i just like that idea of like it sort of discuss like how what's its significance to that race and also having these sort of tips but in a certain way so it feels like i mean maybe people might say it's like oh it's a bit corny but the fact is consistent all the way through that's what i really like about it and like the idea of like when you clean as you clean as you cook which is something i do my flatmate doesn't so it's like Staring down a sink full of solid pots, pans, and dishes can just be as daunting as squaring off against an ancient black dragon. So fucking true. <laughs> I mean, it's really, in- I have a little anecdote. When I was interviewing Michael, John, and Kyle, you know, for this feature that we, do- we were talking about, and I mm. said, asked about tips and stuff, and Kyle, who was actually folding some laundry at the time, was like, make sure you clean up as you go. And I could hear his kids in the background. And I was like, oh my God, Kyle's one of those dads who would be like, hey, you know, you've used that, clean it. And um, <laughs> so I could see that he was really living by his kind his of rule. It's like, um, if, you want, if you want to clean up, pick up, pick up whatever you're holding, go into the other room, put it down. Anything else in this room comes back with you. <laughs> I love that that was authentic advice. And it's great advice. Like I always do that now. Like, and it just <laughs> makes the whole... For example, later today, I'm actually going to start cooking these one by one, all eight. <gasps> today, I'm starting Traveller's Stew. I mm. considered being cooking while we were talking, and I thought, don't do that, Mira. Audio-wise, not great, but I, yeah. it would have been cool anyway. <laughs> so um, we're cooking that today. We, nice. me by myself in my flat. I don't know where that we came from. So there will be a period where you're just cooking one part of it, and during that time, you use that to clear up the rest of it. You know, so it's great to have those kind of steers. Yeah. But also you were talking about how how loyal they've kind of been to each, to really immersing you. So, for example, with the different races, a lot of the Hobbit food is really comforting and homely food. Mm. The Elven food is quite vegetarian, vegetable-based. But think, thinking about things like the colourful presentation, and they have some like a wood elf salad with flowers, strewn mm. across the salad. So... We were both talking about this. When you play in games, if you are eating, you're normally in a tavern. Yes. And it's like, you know, you order a beer, you talk to the people in a tavern. But now I think when I'm like being a, a dungeon master, I'm going to be saying things like, oh, well, you're in this elf town and this is what's available on the menu and adding that flavor to really remind my players where we're at. Mm. They're not going to find like a hog roast potentially or drumsticks which is what you always see in any fantasy film mm. but you know, I'm, I'm just thinking about saying things like um you see one of the serving boys is bringing in a bucket of fresh picked berries mm. you know stuff like that to really make you feel like you're in this community that cares about like fresh produce and vegetables and then potentially very different from when you're you know visiting a dwarven mining town mm. where they want their dwarven bread and their heavy kind of stews and and stuff like this so mm. 
yeah it's quite eye-opening in that way too yeah and actually it's, it's a very good point you say that so there are examples of what kind of menus you could see in certain uh, of some of the more famous in quotation marks uh locations so obviously they talk about the awning portal which mm. is the, the most famous tavern in Waterdeep. i'll get the name of the, 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 the like the restaurant in eberon which is at the highest point in the uh the city of sharn uh yeah. which is a little bit more hoity-toity and stuff and it's quite nice to actually just see a menu and i think you're right there's something i think certainly now when a lot of our gaming is moved to online so you're not necessarily going out having meals with people going to the pub beforehand or having the ability to cook with other people or to share stuff mm. just being able to remind people through talking about it and saying like here's the menu stuff like that like you don't have to go into overly lots of detail again some people might not enjoy that as much but there's something about it just to remind you and it, it definitely makes it feel the word is immersive but it's more this feels right. This feels like just you are an adventurer. This is you. I just thought that was really cool to have examples of that so that you can just bring it to hand. So yeah, I think that's something else I'd like to certainly do in, in my campaign. So it's not just necessarily, here's the information point, which is also a pub. Uh, it is like, here's an information point. And as you're talking, you notice this and uh, you taste this and all that sort of thing. I'm just, I want to check. It's not the Celestial Vista restaurant. Again. That's the one. Yes. Yeah. Um, because I love it too. There's a beautiful menu uh, mm. in the book. Um, I'd love to give you a page number listeners, but you're going to have to find it. Yeah. It's by your own book and look. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's, it's the artwork and the, the different uh, food that they put on the, menu in this book is so beautiful mm -hmm. that I think if you were playing a game of D&D &D and you wanted to have your characters go to this restaurant you could easily show this to your players mm. and same with the hobbit menu sorry the halfling menus and the various races menus because it's just the photos and the way they've done it and I think normally I would do something like I'd stain some I'd get a bit of printer paper stain it with a tea bag and write on it mm. have these beautiful menus in this book would just really add a, a touch of realism a bit of style and panache to what's normally a bit of a diy thing for me yeah and like again i know i've already said this but there's just something about DD books which aren't modules which aren't source books but stuff like this and i'm thinking of like the art and arcana book as well where they clearly put together everything just right and designed it so it looks beautiful and i think that's the most important thing for me like because i i'm sure you're the same mirror i have a fuck ton of <laughs> cooking books which i go oh yeah i want to oh god uh, yeah and they look pretty but it's very formulaic it's very much here is the cold salads bit this is the pasta bit etc and there's a little bit of introduction and then it's a bit like uniform because it's like oh it's easy to read whereas this because you have that bit about the law you have that voice going throughout it and the pictures and the difference between pictures and illustrations and like you said the the references to, to things it's just in itself it's just a piece of art i'd say so you could use it as a cookbook but equally just reading through it um and just appreciating it i'd highly recommend doing that as well that's funny you should mention that other book because guess who wrote that book same people same people <laughs> <laughs> and it's just so lovely they are so deliciously geek-tastic and having been locked away in lockdown I live by myself since June you know to open my zoom and have this incredibly intense geek off not even a geek off just a geek appreciation mosh together talking about these recipes and the research mm -hmm. that we done was so lovely and being on my own you know being able to play less games Mm -hmm. kind of being in the kitchen having a fantasy D&D cooking experience it does feel more special mm -hmm. and more fun than I'm just cooking to live 
to sustain myself, you know? Mm. Yes, this is functional and I will probably be very sensible and free some of it. And, you know, but, you know, you're reading the law around it, you're chopping it up and it's just much more fun. It's being excited to try new things. Because that's, that's the thing I've discovered in lockdown is that I'm, and maybe you're the same as me, like when I was at work and I'd be out quite often, I'd be like, I'll just buy something. And it would, it got to the point where it was just mostly meal deals, which I know is not great <laughs> anyway. Or it would be like sushi or something like that, which it's fine but there is something amazing about making something and it might not look the best it's not instagram worthy but i've made this and i've spent time over it and having that passion about it so that's why when you were talking about like a geek off yes but at least people are passionate and that's the thing i do miss and i don't know how you did it with uh, when you played in person so when we did our D games uh, on the monday night we come everyone goes to this person's house and then they would make the food and it was just it was not like lots of homemade but you know pizzas and stuff like that but that the act of like having food together before we start was such a lovely thing and i do miss that quite a bit so having again that idea of planning ahead maybe having certain breaks in the game or something like that i can't wait to try that in a real game and get everyone to bring like a potluck sort of thing that'd be oh, awesome that'd be lovely i mean i'm excited at the prospect of cooking for people again i really mm. like that. I really relate, Fiona, I used to hate cooking so, so much. And I actually had a boyfriend. He hated cooking as well. And then when I started getting on my love of cooking, I honestly can't tell you where it's come from, but I think what it is is being in lockdown and wanting to do lots of self-care and self-love and mm. thinking, okay, you're going to be at home. The recipe says 40 minutes. You and I both know Mira. This is me talking to myself. It's going to probably take two hours, but... I put my laptop on in the corner. I will watch a RuPaul's Drag Race or a Real Housewives and just cook. And, you know, it doesn't feel like a chore anymore. Mm. But that did cause issues because, you know, I would then be like trying to cook something and then having a boyfriend who wasn't really that much of a foodie, you know, was not that impressed. And then, mm. yeah, it just was a bit of a disparity. But I, I think the reason I don't, didn't like cooking, and this is getting deep for a second, is when I was little... Mm. My mum did all the cooking and she would call me to help, but I would always be in trouble. I wouldn't be doing it correctly. She wasn't very patient and then I'd mm. have to go away. So I never felt like I was welcome or confident in a kitchen. I didn't feel it was warm and inviting and I felt quite incompetent. Everything takes me ages, you know, chopping mm. used to take me ages. I'd get bored. So I kind of realised I was going to reframe it so having a laptop on or a podcast on with something that I love and is engaging. Mm. But be very careful, kids, while you're chopping, if you're doing that. Yes. And, and making this environment where I was like, just happy to be in the kitchen and doing it on my mm. own. Because I felt when I had a, you know, when I had a boyfriend, I felt embarrassed because my, I don't know, it's just so strange. I felt very self-conscious because mm. I'm not, you know, cooking for him and being not great at it. So this time by myself has been, yeah, I even found this really ancient Delia Smith cookery book <laughs> in 1978. Mm. And I remembered that being in my mum and dad's house, mm. all it from my mum and dad's house. And I cooked a recipe from Delia Smith's cookbook. And um, it's just given me this sense of, I, Mira, if you want to cook yourself a nutritious meal and look after yourself, you can. Mm. It's one of the things you've ticked off your list. And every time I kind of learn a new skill, it, it's just, it's because I wanted to do it for myself and it just, yeah. it pleases me and makes me feel like I'm looking after myself. So mm. 
having this D&D cookbook, I almost feel like in a way it's the universe going, well, you got yourself onto basics and now you enjoy it. <laughs> now have this like super fun book that's aligned with your interests that your friends are going to really dig when you cook for them eventually. Yeah. No, I, you know what? I had the exact same thing over Christmas. So uh, my partner came to visit because he's an American and stuff like that. And of course, then we were inside. And it was the first time I've ever properly cooked for him. And this was obviously in the pre-times, we both were will get meal deals because he he bloody loves Lucasade. It's really weird because they have Gatorade in the US, but he's like, Lucasade is something different. So we, you know, we'd always used to go and do that. But then obviously we were like, okay, we can't do that. So we need to get food in we need to make sure we have all that sorted so and one thing we've been doing in lockdown me and my flatmate is that every sunday we do a roast in quotation marks so he will pick something do it for both of us and then the next week i will do something and again there was actually the challenge of like okay i want to try cooking but also for me so i'm trying to be a bit more like i say experimental i want to try more foods and try different things it's not just a meat and two veg so i try to be more flexitarian try to be more vegetarian and stuff and look for recipes that i would be like oh let's try that and it's been fairly, you know, up and down success. There's been somewhere I've gone, this tastes rubbish, but it's okay. I know that now. But when we got to Christmas, I was like, all right, I'm going to try and do a vegetable Wellington. And that's like, to me, that's like really loads of um, levels to it. And I was so worried because this was the first time, not only was I cooking for my flatmate, but for my partner as well, which I've never really cooked for. And it was a partial success it was a beetroot wellington so the inner core of it was obviously it's not meat it's beetroots and both both my flatmate and partner were like well we enjoyed most of it and then they'd left the huge whole beetroots <laughs> on the thing i was like guys you gotta eat the whole thing like, oh no we don't like beetroots i was like no i don't like beetroots but i'm gonna eat it <laughs> <laughs> oh i mean it's not funny that whenever you do a wellington the pastry always goes first the pastry is the best bit right agreed yeah. i'm so proud of you i mean that and I love that you kind of understand that experience of like the nervousness. And I remember, um, you know, I cooked this meal with gnocchi and it had peppers and uh, rosemary. And my partner at the time didn't like peppers. So he kind of very politely ate around it. Mm. I was just like, oh, I felt very guilty, actually. I was like, I should have picked up on that. He wasn't mm. going to like that bit. But I guess it depends. Like for me, I love trying, I, I'm trying to force myself. So I'm not a big fan of uh, bell peppers myself, but I will always, if it's in a meal and someone's cooked it for me, I will try and eat it because I, you know, they've, they've done their best. And I think there's that thing as well. It's like, I worry that it's not enough food. And I don't know if that's just because again, like parents, uh, like make sure you have enough food. And I'm like, yeah, but do they have enough food? And then they're like, oh no, this is plenty. And they're like, oh, they must hate it then. It's a tiny plate. <laughs> Here, have more. I, no, I relate to that. I am definitely a, a feeder. And when we have people over, in the past when we've had people over for dinner here, I've always encouraged people to bring as much as they can. Because mm-hmm. I'm the same as you. I'd rather have loads left over. Yes. I think, you know, with the Heroes Feast cookbook, mm. there are some great options for mains. And then there's loads of like snacky things. Mm. Well, and the puddings look really good. You know, if I was going to do like a D&D night, I might prepare some of the snacky things, mm. you know, the day before. And then the next day, do the main cook. So, and also you need uh, finger foods that you can eat while you're playing. Mm. And it has popped a few of those in and recognizes that. They're like, maybe don't try the stews. 
while you're mm. playing. But, you know, if you'd like to, we pop these bits in. And I also quite liked how they were, it's an alternative to crisps. Like, that's definitely for me, it's a big staple of D&D games is a fuck ton of crisps. So yeah. you have like the little, um, I can't remember what they're called, but the little elven sort of like, almost like fig balls, essentially, like energy balls is what I, and I'm like, those would be perfect. I think also as well, all the snacky type foods, they're not too crunchy or snappy they're like you know, little munchy so it's very quiet so i was like they've clearly planned that <laughs> so true i mean like D is rife with like cheetos and mountain dew and you know all the bad snacks like you know when i would go saturday D i'd have like a bag of maltesers a bag of doritos mm-hmm. which i still am looking forward to hopefully. agreed but <laughs> also <laughs> also yeah this is another way <laughs> Out of the book, and because obviously you've done amazing research on this, is there any particular recipes which you are, because you're going through them one by one to try them out, but is there one, that, is there any one that you're like, I can't wait to try, you know, try this one, or one you're like, this is one I'm going to cook for people? Like, have you even like, even thought about doing like a set menu? Because you were just talking about it then, so. The one that I'm really, really looking forward to is the halfling stuffed toast that I mentioned. That to me just is like the ultimate taking time for yourself in the morning and cooking yourself a really yummy breakfast. Mm-hmm. It just really sets the tone for the day. Like normally if I'm working, I'll have a bit of toast with Marmite. Yeah. But knowing that I'm going to get up in the morning and have this really beautiful, I don't know what it is about frying breakfast food, but it's just, for, you know, chef's kiss. Mm-hmm. And, then, mm-hmm. um, and then the pudding that I keep looking at, there are two actually. Mm. One is Meals End, which mm. includes meringue, heavy cream, strawberries and sugar as needed yeah so, I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> so basically like eaten mess then you mm-hmm, know mm-hmm. um i just cannot wait for that and i think that's gonna be really beautiful and then the dwarves have got one of the best puddings yes um, yes do you want to talk about that <laughs> <laughs> I, it's really hard to talk when my mouth is drooling but <laughs> it's the black pudding which is just basically like I'll read out the the text about it because it's beautiful text. Go for it. Black pudding. No, not that black pudding. Eating real monsters is precarious play. Sure, some are considered delicacies and host to exquisite flavours of unimaginable complexity, but most are full of toxins and poisons that simply aren't worth the risk. To say nothing of what it actually takes to capture and kill your dinner. Inspired by one of those nasty dungeon-dwelling beasties, and based on a goblin dish called elf pudding, you don't want to know. <laughs> this traditional coffee and chocolate mousse is sure to satisfy even the most discerning dwarven palate. This dense caffeinated dessert is known to keep dwarves working their forges until the wee hours. Eat it before it eats you. And the ingredients. Oh, okay, so it's like three tablespoons of cocoa powder. So we're getting that chocolate in there. Mm-hmm. Heavy cream, whole milk, butter, pure vanilla extract. Kahlua mm. coffee liqueur, um, mm-hmm. brandy or cognac, chocolate shavings, and very lightly sweetened whipped cream optional. Come on, that's not optional. Come no, on. No, that, that's, that's going on top. <laughs> and I am the counsellor Troy of the D&D world. I am a chocoholaholic. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, so, and this is like so far, this is page 109 in the book. So mm. I'm like, it's, I must say the picture of it looks amazing. So again, it's, it's that sort of um, metal honed dish. Sorry. And yeah, I, I did see that as well. I just like to go, no, not that black pudding. As if, <laughs> and like, that's the thing, like each of these entries have its little entry at the top, which I was just like, 
this is really cool and it makes me really excited to do that i quite like the look of the other pudding though the uh the, the barovia scotch pudding um so there is like another section which talks about the more unusual foods and stuff so like you were saying before like the arcans from joe magnatelli's character has an entry in there and a couple more tieflings and whatnot but yeah there's a one that's based on barovia which is uh, uh or ravenloft sorry Barovian butterscotch pudding. It uses those little glasses. Basically, it's shot glasses, but slightly bigger. And you, you know, like, if you've got those in your cupboard, then it's going to be a fancy meal. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I just love, I mean, Ravenloft is one of the most depressing settings, but, you know, come on, Strahd. Is there anyone who wouldn't like to date him and fix him? <laughs> really unhealthy. We'll find out next time. No. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done a main course, but I think the course that I really... Mm. The, when we were when I was interviewing the authors, they were mm. all going for this omelet, um, omelet golden brown roast turkey with sausage stuff. Oh yes, mm. and we've talked about that a lot because we were talking about Christmas food and Thanksgiving food. And I actually had Christmas by myself, and I had some very delicious food, but I didn't do myself like traditional Christmas. Mm-hmm. That, I'm really looking forward to that main course, and that's in the human menu. But yeah, I literally, my mouth is like, I'm slavering as I'm discussing these. So Mm. how about you? Did you have a chance to like pick any of your favorites or? Looking at this whole thing, like the stews look great. Mm. I think maybe it's because right now it's quite cold where we are. We're obviously coming into this at the mid of the winter. Um, so there's like the traveler stew looked quite good. And the one, obviously the everything stew, mm-hmm. which was uh, a halfling one, which looked really good as well. Oh, the everything soup, sorry. Potato and leek soup, I've not had for years. And I was like, oh, brought back proper memories again of homely stuff that's in the dwarven cuisine. In the elven one, the drow mushroom steaks. Um, oh, so good. I thought to myself, because I was thinking, again, what would I do as a, a meal per se? Because the issue is obviously, again, for me, that would probably be enough. But if I was serving to other people, but like, oh, maybe I need to cook more than that. So it'd be the mushrooms. And then I thought green spear bundles and bacon as oh, well. I'm like, coming over, Fiona. <laughs> but also because those are fairly straightforward as well. Because like, because essentially it's just asparagus sticks in bacon and you just prepare them. Yes. And pop them in the oven and that's it. And I was like, that's really easy. Thank goodness. You know, like... um. That mushroom steak, mm. literally beautiful marinade, pop them in a marinade, turn them over, you know, drizzle it over. Mm-hmm. And it just sounds so easy and simple and very few. So if you get really nice, fresh ingredients, it's going to taste so lovely. Mm-hmm. Oh, I would like to try more of the elven stuff, I think, just to start out. I think for me, because I always get meat wrong, which I know sounds really weird, <laughs> but I think I want to try different spices or different textures or different kinds of things which don't necessarily rely on meat and meat juices and stuff which is which is fine like i tell you the best thing i have made last year was a slow cooked butternut squash chili curry and it had pomegranate seeds on the top and honestly i made it three times it was so nice <laughs> you send me that recipe i'll send you that recipe because i really really enjoyed it as a result and because i i used to not be a big fan of butter squash mostly because it was really hard to cut because it's a weird shape and then you have to obviously peel it cut it de-seed it there's, there's a lot of bloody effort and then eventually i was like actually it is really easy i just need to get on and prepare it much earlier and then not add into the cooking time so yeah, and if you go somewhere you know go to the supermarket they have ready chopped which is like a lifesaver. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I, I reckon that might be a, a halfling recipe because that's mm. comforting. It, it's very, it was very homely. Is there anything in this book that you think, oh, I wish they'd done this or I wish they'd improved on something like that at all? Or anything you would change? 
I mean, firstly, I am literally in love with these authors. Of course. I don't know if it's fangirling or just so much love that they've put so much love and energy and just fly their geek flag so high. I do think what would be really cool is like um, a whole book of like D&D snacks, like mm. cookies, like, like we were saying, like toasted chips, stuff like this would be really, really cool. I was thinking I would love a whole book of dessert. I'd love a whole book of um, cocktails and drinks. Mm. Some of the recipes are quite involved. So I've bought a food processor, which I would have never owned before. Wow. I know. That's, I know. That, that, that's one step above me. So yeah. <laughs> I bought like the cutest littlest uh, food processor from AO.com. So what I, I really, when I started cooking, I bought a series of tray bake books. Mm. They're very famous. Um, loads of people from my, my work have got these books and they're basically beautiful, gorgeous recipes and everything goes into one baking tray. Mm. Um, I'm just going to quickly look up the... Do the it, yeah, yeah. Because they're so, they're so great. Um, and that just made, took all the, the scariness out of cooking for me because all you did was prepare the ingredients and put them in one tin. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think when you're having to, um, like, first you fry something off and then you have to kind of, like, rinse and chop or, you know, make a, make a puree or, or blend something. Mm-hmm. When there's, like... Basically, I start to struggle when there's like more than two or three hobs have to go on. Yes. You know, and, and timings. Yes. I'm not, I'm not great at timing. So where, you know, this woman has just bought these tray bakes together, mm. like literally been life changing. Mm. And I have all her books now. So her name is Brooke Minnie Ayer. And she, yeah, so those, so anything D&D based that could be done in one tray, mm. that would be really handy for me. But having said that, this book is making me aspire to and commit to more skills. So mm. I completely agree with you. There's something about when you see a recipe, it goes, okay, whilst that's cooking, do this, do this. And yeah, I, again, maybe it's just because it's like, there's so much fire on the hob right now where something goes wrong. And I think, again, <laughs> going going back to um, washing up, if you're not washing up as you go, the idea of cooking is obviously the meal at the end tastes good and you enjoy it. Mm. If for whatever reason the meal tastes rubbish, you're then faced with the punishment of cleaning up. <laughs> That's why obviously we like eating out, isn't it? We're like, oh, well, I had this meal, but at least I don't have to clean up afterwards. You know, yeah. it, it takes that going out of it. So I think that, that's the thing for me would be like, I would love it if it's just like, here is a, a one pan book. And I think, I hope that's what they're going to do in future is like you said, they're going to make it like the next volume is just desserts or just snacks and stuff like that because i think there's definitely a market here for that and like even like one more aimed at children or kids like how to you know how to bake this perhaps for sure i definitely know they're doing another thing together because they were like alluding to our next project and they wouldn't tell me what it was (sighs) i'm like i'm really hoping it's another cookbook that would Mm. be awesome i mean being a person by myself it's not a lot of mess really Mm -hmm. um yeah, I do sometimes think. I wonder what it's like to have a dishwasher. <laughs> I guess, I guess that's the thing. Like, I'd love to do like a like a come dine with me, with, but it's all D and D themed. Like, again, in the mm-hmm. times when we can all go around to people's houses and stuff, because you always see them cook in the day and stuff, and then you never see like the washing up they have to do afterwards, because clearly they've just gone pan, 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 quick, and moving things around. That's what I would love to do. Obviously, assuming that everyone who plays in your group is living within certain distance and stuff and is happy to do this. But the idea go, okay, on Monday, we're going to go to Mira's and here is Mira's menu. And then we all go, mm, okay. 
That would be so fun. Oh, I miss, I'm really looking forward to those days. Mm, me too. I think the only thing for me that I would, I would love to see, because obviously a lot of the campaigns that they use, you know, we've got Greyhawk, we've got Eberron and stuff like that. And it does say like, oh, a lot of this, this world is inspired by medieval Europe or Britain or stuff like that and very westernized so you, you when you're looking through it, you go oh yes here's the salmon here's like your burgers here is like this I'd love to see more curries so I, I'm a big fan of curries right now and I'd love to see more of a maybe an eastern influence in mm. in future ones for sure just because I would love to expand my um cooking as well yeah. Because I think some of these do feel like staples. Like once you cook this, then you can just add this on afterwards. In each of the recipes, there's like cook notes at the end. So it gives you advice on what to do. Or if you don't like this, substitute that, which again, is very, very helpful. I just would love to see like some basic curries. I think the only one I saw was like like the, the chili. is yeah. the only one that I would see as like, oh, a little bit curry based. But other than that, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't have the extensive knowledge that, you know, many D&D geeks have, but I would imagine that like kind of more Asian or African influenced settings that were fairly problematic if they were written in the 80s. True. <laughs> but um, I actually don't know anything about that because it's a very westernized hobby, isn't it? Hmm. A lot of it's written by people in the West. So that's really interesting. But you could definitely like when, when you're making up. So what I would love to kind of do I think when I'm kind of making my own recipes like bring together like maybe a Thai green curry mm. and call it like um you know a green this is so unimaginative but like a green dragon curry or bring in D&D elements because but I'd love to know if there were any backgrounds or campaign settings that kind mm. of include that kind of food I guess Coriolis um which is sci-fi which is not D&D that's very much set around like kind of Persian, Moroccan, those kind mm. of influences. Mm. So yeah, maybe there should be a Coriolis cookbook or something. Yeah, I think this could open the way for quite a few RPG books. Like I was thinking of The Expanse was the other one because they they've got like Earth, Mars, and then the the Belters. Oh, I've watching that. Uh, no, I haven't. My flatmate told me a little bit about it. <laughs> I need to. I, it's on the list because I've played the game now, and I really enjoy the RPG. I love the the world of it, and like this almost like Cold War element of it. I'm on episode one of The Expanse. So. Oh, you again slightly ahead than me. <laughs> well, it's because we had a discussion with our because Fiona and I are in D and D group called Pantheon, and they were, the boys were discussing it in the group, so we were like, oh. We better get on that. <laughs> yeah, we can't have them knowing more than us. <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not. I think definitely this is like the first step in probably a whole series of books. And I, I hope that they do expand the recipes. They also explore like, you know, I would love to know what Celestials eat. Like mm. probably Angel's Delight. Oh yeah, so I literally was thinking Angel's Delight is most. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and then I'd love, if you wanted like, you know, hot food, like chili and spicy mm. food, you know, what do they eat in like, you know, the hell dimensions and demons and, you know, what do dragons eat, you know? Yeah, get away from sort of the playable races, but actually look at the more monstrous races. That'll be, yeah. Oh, you could have stuff like, what do Kenku eat or what do uh, Furbolgs eat? Yeah. That'd be really cool, actually. Yeah. Uh, what does a gelatinous cube eat? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's in my way? I will just absorb that. 
I think the only other thing I was going to mention as well, so because you mentioned it very briefly, the, the drinks as well. So quite oh. a few of them are alcoholic, but mushroom tea. I've never I, heard of that before. I haven't either, but I mean, you know the drows, they pretty much live on fungus. If you live in the underdark, haha, good luck getting anything other than fungi. Mm. And again, I just thought that was such a cool thing to try. Ironically, it won't be everyone's cup of tea, but... <laughs> very good. I, thank you. But I was just like, you know what? That's really cool. Like, again, so that's something I've not experienced from Western cuisine, but I thought, actually, maybe I'd try that. It might be an acquired taste, but I was like, that sounds really awesome. Yeah, sh- shiitake mushrooms, soy sauce, salt, sake, and uh, scallions. Oh, and dried kelp as well. Do you want to read the description out just because it's quite lovely? Yeah, sure, I'll go for it. When the half-fire dims in the underdark, the drow are known to reach for their kettles, not to make any herbal tea, but instead an after-dinner broth of simmering mushrooms. If they can find them, the drow prefer masaku. Oh, words are not my strong point. Uh, <laughs> or fushitake, or... You made me do this, so you didn't have to do any pronunciations. I knew it. I uh, those pronunciations as well. Matai, will do in a pinch. They place the sliced mushrooms into a clear broth seasoned with dried kelp, sometimes with a splash of fish stock or soy sauce and alcohol, and heat it in a tea kettle. From this, they pour small cups of fragrant tea to imbibe slowly until the mushrooms cook to perfection, at which point they're eaten with a fine skewer. Like that, it feels like a proper, not ceremony, but it feels like a proper thing to do. I just, yeah, Yeah. really like that. It just sounds so immersive and like, you know, Mm. that whole kind of ritual. I have to say, this is definitely written by Americans because let's face it, we would not pollute our tea kettles with, no. You know, (laughs) sadly, our US cousins don't, don't have many electric kettles that they plug into the wall. Lots of their tea kettles, they just set on the stove. Can you imagine the barbarism? Oh, it's, well, this is the thing. So when I've been over there, because uh, my partner, like I said, is American, he, he has like a coffee machine. Yeah. Uh, so obviously the water gets boiled through that. And I was like, but where is your kettle? And he goes, I've got one, but it's really rubbish. Like it, it doesn't power. And I'm like, are you mad? What? Just, so I've had to I've had to use the water from the, the coffee machine, and do it, but it, which is easy enough, but it's a bit like... But a kettle, I feel like maybe it's a very British uh, thing. We're like, where is your kettle? <laughs> like, kettle, and if you don't have one, I'm walking straight out of your home. <laughs> but, um, that was the other thing I experienced with this book. I'm learning to convert from US measurements to yes. UK. Luckily, I have a set of measuring cups. My friend me years ago, which is cool because less weighing, that's fine. Mm. But, you know, things like I have this oven calculation. So going from Fahrenheit to fan-assisted oven centigrade mm. is a bit of a ball ache and mm. my scales are not in the same measurements that they have in the it, US. You but know what it, it would be nice if they had a page at the beginning which had the conversions for you rather than you going to look it up so maybe again that would be something you'd improve upon but again and, and this is again my uh, ignorance as someone who um, doesn't cook that much but is there is it just those two are the the standard set of measuring things or is there like a more i guess other than like a pinch of this a handful of that but i because i don't know i i've always measured things in grams uh and like tablespoons and stuff like that not cups no so. i think i got really into this series of um detective books and the hero was called goldie and she was a caterer and that's when i first realized because it was an american novelist mm. that the americans had different measurements you know, cups are very prevalent and yeah, I'm the same. I'm grams, kilograms and, you know, mm. degree centigrade. And then the US is completely different. Don't mm. ask me about anywhere else, but 
yeah, I, I, I don't know myself. Again, it's that sort of thing where it'd either be nice to have books that are regionalized, which I know is not a word, but like, oh, in the UK, here are the UK yeah. measurements. I, as guess, I guess they didn't know how successful the book was going to be, but if I was like an editing author or if I worked in a publishing house, I would definitely do a UK edition and a US edition because I know mm. with Coast is a US company, but I reckon with Critical Role and the internet just going mental... There must be so many fans all over the world. I would have done a UK version. There is a, a little part of me, again, a very first world problems that wishes that there was, you know, they had like the correct putting you into things. So like colourful has a you and all that sort of thing. And when you read it on the D&D Beyond and it's not right and you're like, I wish there was a button that could just switch it <laughs> to like UK grammar. <laughs> strange. I mean, when I write for um, Dragon Plus, I think, should I be writing American? So I just write in English. I consider it Matt's magazine, so he can write it in whatever language he likes. <laughs> I wonder if, if there's someone there going, oh, and then the, other, the editor is like changing all Takes my out. Yeah, yeah. Take all these views out. Yeah. The sort of final question I have for you, Mira, is there anything, any something that's similar to this that you would recommend? Any other cookbooks? Obviously, I know you talked about Dealer Smith, or any sort of any sort of D&D stuff that you would recommend? The, the beauty of this book is it's, for me, I think it's completely and utterly unique and it's something that everyone wanted but didn't realise, you know, now it's here, we're like, yay! So I think it is utterly unique. But one of the things I highly recommend is if you find a novel or a book with a recipe in there, just trying to make it for fun because it really adds to the immersion and it, books are a joy, right? You open them and step into another world. So when a book offers you something back to eat and consume that's delicious in your world, take it and run with it. And I think for people who are listening to this who love D&D but hate cooking, that's cool. You do you. <laughs> so if Fiona and I can learn to slowly cook and find ways to enjoy it, potentially you might find that too. But if mm. you don't, that's fine. Absolutely agree. Like I think if anything with this book, I know we've talked about this all the time, but it makes me excited to try and cook something for other people before we play a game and like bring something and, and encourage that potluck S type thing and like say, okay, you're in charge of desserts. You're in charge of this. You're in charge of this. And experience it because then it does feel more of a collaborative effort like and sort of reenacting that oh we're now at base camp etc here's what we're sharing and stuff and there could be people out there who love cooking but aren't fussed about D&D like certainly obviously we've have I've got friends whose partners are like mm, okay but you know you'd want to include them in some yeah. way so maybe a way just to try it and like if they certainly if they're into cooking or trying this new skill and then eating it as part of an immersive experience would be really cool so yeah i yeah i don't particularly have any cookbooks i would recommend as a result but i give it a go if worse comes to worse and it doesn't taste great don't use that recipe again <laughs> there's 80 of them in here so that's it that's our time thank you so much mira for introducing me to the world of heroes feast like this just i just i can't wait to stop i can't wait to see your results as well i hope you put them to where i can see them yeah, we all have to swap pictures of our cooking. Before we go, is there anything you'd like to plug? Anything you're like, this is me, come find me here. Any, I don't know, Patreons or anywhere we can find your work. I can be found pretty much anywhere on the internet. My username everywhere is Mira Manga. I recently opened a Patreon. I am basically trying to write more and do more freelance writing, but I basically this Patreon could be basically 
would you like a piece of poetry every month for a year? And then other fun bits and pieces. So, you know, potentially, do you need me to help you write with greeting cards or letters or, you know, send some loving sentiments? I'm happy to help with my writing skills. So that's a new thing. Mm. You may or may not see it because I'm quite shy. Um, but yeah, and I also twitch occasionally. And my Twitch name is Miramanga. But yeah, a follow on Twitter kind of means a fairy doesn't die or something. So yeah. <laughs> I like you've gone from self-promoting to a call to action. Don't kill the yeah. fairies. <laughs> Don't kill the fairies. How about you, Fiona? Always up to something. I am always up to something. Uh, so I run the What Am I Rolling podcast, which is a twice monthly RPG one-shot podcast. As always, it's going very well. Uh, I always say that every, every time I end because I, I panic because I, I get to the end and go, there's something. We were talking about it just before. I've, I've just finished editing the rest of Thousand Year Old Vampire because I did a live stream of the first part for Dragon Meat, which, uh, Mira, you kindly asked me to finish out on the podcast zone on. I highly recommend if there's a way you can still watch that. I had no idea about that game until I watched you playing it, and now I'm lit- I've literally paid a for it because of Fiona playing it. So definitely listen to this coming up. So the live stream one is available on the YouTube still. The YouTube. YouTube. Just YouTube channel. <laughs> Um, but both parts one and part two will be available uh, as audio in the next couple of weeks. I did an interview with uh, Mikey Ham, who is the person who made Slugbuster, which essentially is teenage hoverboarders who go out into other dimensions, think Back to the Future meets Big Hero 6, that kind of deal. It's quite cool. And finally, actually, I just finished recording a one shot called The Land of Eam, which Mira, I think you would really like. So it's based on a series of comic books called Rickety Stitch and the gelatinous goo and it's about a bard skeleton who's trying to find out why he is as he is and his companion goo um is basically um think of it like lassie where goo will say something goes what's that goo oh and because you're here as well mira we hopefully in in a couple of months we've got our project we've got pantheon coming up very exciting so this is me, you, and our friends Matt, John, and Dee coming together to do a massive campaign in a world we've built, and each one of the five of us gets the chance to be the DM. Mm-hmm. So we take four levels each, and, yeah, we take our party through those adventures together. The other thing as well, what's been really cool is that uh, John's partner has created the map of the world, which mm-hmm. has been really exciting to see pictures of. And then we actually got a physical copy of it in terms of a roll-up dice bag. I think you had the same reaction that I did, Mira. It was like, oh my God, something we've created is on merch. (laughs) We make this map and then Jude puts it together, illustrates it beautifully and it becomes, thanks to All Rolls Up UK, Mm. like an amazing D&D dice and pencils bag with our map on it. Yeah, I honestly, I cannot wait till we start... Because again, we're all we're still in the pre-planning stages, getting stuff. Obviously, you've got your one shot coming up as well, Mira, in the next week or two. It's not, don't worry, it's not this weekend. Don't worry. Uh, I'm the weakest link, so yeah, I'm sure that is not true. <laughs> I expect our one shot just to be about cooking. By the way. <laughs> I'm just so excited to be a part of it. And if anyone listens, that's even better. But mostly, I just can't wait to play with people who are so creative and so different. You know that as soon as bands are lifted, we're travelling to John and Jude's, we're staying there for at least a week, and we're playing with John's swords. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) No context needed. Great. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Mira, and we will see, speak, talk to you next time. 
Thank you so much. Bye. Right. Bye.